Welcome to the book reading program of 3ABN Australia Radio. The book, The Great Controversy, written by Alan White, deals with the history of the Christian church, starting with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and continues right through to our day. It also outlines the closing scenes of this earth's history and the principles that are at stake. What you're about to hear is a dramatized audio version of this book created by Nancy Hamilton Myers. To download your free copy, visit thedesireofagesproject.com. Let's listen now as Nancy continues reading from The Great Controversy. The Great Controversy, Chapter 37. The Scriptures, A Safeguard. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The people of God are directed to the Scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible, for its plain utterances reveal his deceptions. At every revival of God's work, the prince of evil is aroused to more intense activity. He is now putting forth his utmost efforts for a final struggle against Christ and his followers. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. Those who endeavor to obey all the commandments of God will be opposed and derided. They can stand only in God. In order to endure the trial before them, they must understand the will of God as revealed in His Word. They can honor Him only as they have a right conception of His character, government, and purposes, and act in accordance with them. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. To every soul will come the searching test. Shall I obey God rather than men? The decisive hour is even now at hand. Are our feet planted on the rock of God's immutable word? Are we prepared to stand firm in defense of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus? Before his crucifixion, the Savior explained to his disciples that he was to be put to death and to rise again from the tomb, and angels were present to impress his words on minds and hearts. But the disciples were looking for a temporal deliverance from the Roman yoke, and they could not tolerate the thought that he in whom all their hopes centered should suffer an ignominious death. The words which they needed to remember were banished from their minds, and when the time of trial came, it found them unprepared. The death of Jesus has fully destroyed their hopes as if he had not forewarned them. So in the prophecies, the future is opened before us as plainly as it was opened to the disciples by the words of Christ. The events connected with the close of probation and the work of preparation for the time of trouble are clearly presented. 
but multitudes have no more understanding of these important truths than as if they had never been revealed. Satan watches to catch away every impression that would make them wise unto salvation, and the time of trouble will find them unready. When God sends to men warnings so important that they are represented as proclaimed by holy angels flying in the midst of heaven, he requires every person endowed with reasoning powers to heed the message. The fearful judgments denounced against the worship of the beast and his image should lead all to a diligent study of the prophecies to learn what the mark of the beast is and how they are to avoid receiving it. But the masses of the people turn away their ears from hearing the truth and are turned unto fables. The Apostle Paul declared, looking down to the last days, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That time has fully come. The multitudes do not want Bible truth because it interferes with the desires of the sinful, world-loving heart and Satan supplies the deceptions which they love. But God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. The opinions of learned men the deductions of science, the creeds or decisions of ecclesiastical councils, as numerous and as discordant as are the churches which they represent. The voice of the majority, not one nor all of these should be regarded as evidence for or against any point of religious faith. Before accepting any doctrine or precept, we should demand a plain, thus saith the Lord, in its support. Satan is constantly endeavoring to attract attention to man in the place of God. He leads the people to look to bishops, to pastors, to professors of theology as their guides, instead of searching the scriptures to learn their duty for themselves. Then by controlling the minds of these leaders, he can influence the multitudes according to his will. When Christ came to speak the words of life, the common people heard him gladly, and many, even of the priests and rulers, believed on him. But the chief of the priesthood and the leading men of the nation were determined to condemn and repudiate his teachings. Though they were baffled in all their efforts to find accusations against him, though they could not but feel the influence of the divine power and wisdom attending his words, Yet they encased themselves in prejudice. They rejected the clearest evidence of his messiahship, lest they should be forced to become his disciples. These opponents of Jesus were men whom the people had been taught from infancy to reference, to whose authority they had been accustomed implicitly to bow. How is it? they asked that our rulers and learned scribes do not believe on Jesus. Would not these pious men receive him if he were the Christ? It was the influence of such teachers that led the Jewish nation to reject their Redeemer. The spirit which actuated those priests and rulers is still manifested by many who make a high profession of piety. 
They refuse to examine the testimony of the scriptures concerning the special truths for this time. They point to their own numbers, wealth and popularity and look with contempt upon the advocates of truth as few, poor and unpopular, having a faith that separates them from the world. Christ foresaw that the undue assumption of authority indulged by the scribes and Pharisees would not cease with the dispersion of the Jews. He had a prophetic view of the work of exalting human authority to rule the conscience, which has been so terrible a curse to the church in all ages. And his fearful denunciations of the scribes and Pharisees and his warnings to the people not to follow these blind leaders were placed on record as an admonition to future generations. The Roman Church reserves to the clergy the right to interpret the scriptures. On the ground that ecclesiastics alone are competent to explain God's word, it is withheld from the common people. Though the Reformation gave the scriptures to all, yet the self-same principle which was manifested by Rome prevents multitudes in Protestant churches from searching the Bible for themselves. They are taught to accept its teachings as interpreted by the church. And there are thousands who dare receive nothing, however plainly revealed in scripture, that is contrary to their creed or the established teachings of their church. Notwithstanding the Bible is full of warnings against false teachers, many are ready thus to commit the keeping of their souls to the clergy. There are today thousands of professors of religion who can give no other reason for points of faith which they hold than that they were so instructed by their religious leaders. They pass by the Saviour's teachings almost unnoticed and place implicit confidence in the words of the ministers. But are ministers infallible? How can we trust our souls to their guidance unless we know from God's word that they are light bearers? A lack of moral courage to step aside from the beaten track of the world leads many to follow in the steps of learned men and by their reluctance to investigate for themselves they are becoming hopelessly fastened in the chains of error. They see that the truth for this time is plainly brought to view in the Bible and they feel the power of the Holy Spirit attending its proclamation, yet they allow the opposition of the clergy to turn them from the light. Though reason and conscience are convinced, these deluded souls dare not think differently from the minister. And their individual judgment, their eternal interests, are sacrificed to the unbelief, the pride and prejudice of another. Many are the ways by which Satan works through human influence to bind his captives. He secures multitudes to himself by attaching them by the silken cords of affection to those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Whatever this attachment may be, parental, filial, conjugal, or social, the effect is the same. The opposers of truth exert their power to control the conscience, and the souls held under their sway have not sufficient courage or independence to obey their own convictions of duty. The truth and the glory of God are inseparable. It is impossible for us, with the Bible within our reach, 
to honour God by erroneous opinions. Many claim that it matters not what one believes if his life is only right, but the life is moulded by the faith. If light and truth is within our reach, and we neglect to improve the privilege of hearing and seeing it, we virtually reject it. We are choosing darkness rather than light. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Ignorance is no excuse for error or sin when there is every opportunity to know the will of God. A man is traveling and comes to a place where there are several roads and a guideboard indicating where each one leads. If he disregards the guideboard and takes whichever road seems to him to be right, he may be ever so sincere, but will in all probability find himself on the wrong road. God has given us his word that we may become acquainted with its teachings and know for ourselves what he requires of us. When the lawyer came to Jesus with the inquiry, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Savior referred him to the scriptures, saying, What is written in the law, how readest thou? Ignorance will not excuse young or old, nor release them from the punishment due for the transgression of God's law, because there is in their hands a faithful presentation of that law and of its principles and claims. It is not enough to have good intentions. It is not enough to do what a man thinks is right or what the minister tells him is right. His soul's salvation is at stake, and he should search the scriptures for himself. However strong may be his convictions, however confident he may be in that the minister knows what is truth, this is not his foundation. He has a chart pointing out every waymark on the heavenward journey, and he ought not to guess at anything. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth, and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing scripture with scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves, as we are to answer for ourselves before God. The truths most plainly revealed in the Bible have been involved in doubt and darkness by learned men who, with a pretense of great wisdom, teach that the scriptures have a mystical, a secret, spiritual meaning not apparent in the language employed. These men are false teachers. It was to such a class that Jesus declared, Ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. The language of the Bible should be explained according to its obvious meaning, unless a symbol or figure is employed. Christ has given the promise, If any man will to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. If men would but take the Bible as it reads, if there were no false teachers to mislead and confuse their minds, a work would be accomplished that would make angels glad and that would bring into the fold of Christ thousands upon thousands who are now wandering in error. We should exert all the powers of the mind in the study of the scriptures and should task the understanding to comprehend as far as mortals can the deep things of God 
Yet, we must not forget that the delicity and submission of a child is the true spirit of the learner. Scriptural difficulties can never be mastered by the same methods that are employed in grappling with philosophical problems. We should not engage in the study of the Bible with that self-reliance with which so many enter the domains of science, but with a prayerful dependence upon God and a sincere desire to learn His will. We must come with a humble and teachable spirit to obtain knowledge from the great I Am. Otherwise, evil angels will so blind our minds and harden our hearts that we shall not be impressed by the truth. Many a portion of scripture which learned men pronounce a mystery or pass over as unimportant is full of comfort and instruction to him who has been taught in the school of Christ. One reason why many theologians have no clearer understanding of God's word is they close their eyes to truths which they do not wish to practice. An understanding of Bible truth depends not so much on the power of intellect brought to the search as on the singleness of purpose, the earnest longing after righteousness. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be understood or prevent us from resting truths difficult of comprehension. It is the office of heavenly angels to prepare the heart so to comprehend God's word that we shall be charmed with its beauty, admonished by its warnings, or animated and strengthened by its promises. We should make the psalmist's petition our own. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Temptations often appear irresistible, because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with the scripture weapons. But angels are round about those who are willing to be taught in divine things, and in the time of great necessity they will bring to their remembrance the very truths which are needed. Thus, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Jesus promised his disciples the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. But the teachings of Christ must previously have been stored in the mind in order for the Spirit of God to bring them to our remembrance in the time of peril. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, said David, that I might not sin against thee. All who value their eternal interests should be on their guard against the inroads of skepticism. The very pillars of truth will be assailed. It is impossible to keep beyond the reach of the sarcasms and sophisms, the insidious and pestilent teachings of modern infidelity. Satan adapts his temptations to all classes. He assails the illiterate with a jest or a sneer, while he meets the educated with scientific objections and philosophical reasoning, alike calculated to excite distrust or contempt of the scriptures. 
Even youth of little experience presume to insinuate doubts concerning the fundamental principles of Christianity. And this youthful infidelity, shallow as it is, has its influence. Many are thus led to jest at the faith of their fathers and to do despite to the spirit of grace. Many a life that promised to be an honor to God and a blessing to the world has been blighted by the foul breath of infidelity. All who trust to the boastful decisions of human reason and imagine that they can explain divine mysteries and arrive at truth unaided by the wisdom of God are entangled in the snare of Satan. We are living in the most solemn period of world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. We should now seek a deep and living experience in the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. Events of vital importance are taking place around us. We are on Satan's enchanted ground. Sleep not, sentinels of God. The foe is lurking near, ready at any moment, should you become lax and drowsy, to spring upon you and make you his prey. Many are deceived as to their true condition before God. They congratulate themselves upon the wrong acts which they do not commit and forget to enumerate the good and noble deeds which God requires of them, but which they have neglected to perform. It is not enough that they are trees in the garden of God. They are to answer his expectation by bearing fruit. He holds them accountable for their failure to accomplish all the good which they could have done through his grace strengthening them. In the books of heaven, they are registered as cumberers of the ground. Yet the case of even this class is not utterly hopeless. With those who have slighted God's mercy and abused his grace, the heart of long-suffering love yet pleads. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. When the testing time shall come, those who have made God's word their rule of life will be revealed. In summer there is no noticeable difference between evergreens and other trees. But when the blasts of winter come, the evergreens remain unchanged, while other trees are stripped of their foliage. So the false-hearted professor may not now be distinguished from the real Christian, but the time is just upon us when the difference will be apparent. Let opposition arise. Let bigotry and intolerance again bear sway. Let persecution be kindled, and the half-hearted and hypocritical will waver and yield the faith. But the true Christian will stand firm as a rock, his faith stronger, his hope brighter, 
than in the days of prosperity. Says the psalmist, Thy testimonies are my meditation. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. He shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit.